Father, we just thank you that your word is powerful. God, it touches our very beings. And this morning, I pray you just breathe on your word and you just give us something that can challenge us and change us and help us to be more effective, Father, in the marketplace. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you see Penny and I walking around in a little bit of a daze this weekend, uh, there is a reason. Uh, Stephen and Prue are taking a wedding down in Wanaka, and we are left with the grandkids. <laughs> so, early mornings. Lots of fun. A headache at times. I remember what it was like, sort of. It's a bit of a... Uh, it's a bit foggy when you go back uh, 39 years or so, 38 years to when our kids were little, but we're remembering fast. And uh, one of the things that, um, that I have noticed is that the, the Bible stories that you read your kids haven't changed. They're the same ones that we were brought up with. And if we were to read any of the kids' Bible stories this morning, we'd find that there would be stories about what? About um, the creation of the world, about Noah and the ark, about Moses, about David and Goliath, about Daniel and the lion's dens. All fantastic stories about men and women of God facing insurmountable difficulties, but triumphing because of God's miraculous intervention as they trusted in him. Although, I must admit, the, the favorite story of um, Peter and Stephen was Jezebel being thrown out the window, uh, crushing to the ground, and her blood being uh, licked up by dogs. They thought that was justice. So anyway, that's, that's, that's kids. All right. The passage that we're going to read today is, continues on that theme of God's amazing intervention and the way that he is able to take impossible situations and work the absolute impossible. And so we're going to have a look at um, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. And the reality is that uh, God says that his word, the Old Testament, is given to us as an example. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to face physically being thrown into furnaces, but I can tell you now that every day we face fiery situations that have the possibility of uh, absolutely destroying our faith. And so I want to look at this passage and um, help us to see that uh, life isn't easy in a secular world, but we can have a fireproof faith that will more than stay strong in a world of compromise. So we're reading from Daniel chapter, um, chapter 3 and uh, various verses from uh, verse 1 through to verse 30. So it'll be on the board behind me. And it uh, says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 foot tall and 9 feet wide. That's pretty big, guys. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then the, de the decree went out, and he said, As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. 
Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been promoted previously into um, positions of authority, and a lot of the um, astrologers were really jealous about this. So they were looking for opportunities to take these Hebrews down. And so they went to Nebuchadnezzar to denounce the Jews. So Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men? That we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded round them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and weren't willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Excuse me. (coughs) For no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow. Wow. Last time we were in the book of Daniel, we saw how 
The enemy tries to steal our identity and trick us into living a life far beneath what God has created us to be. And another area of subtle attack against us is his attempt to get us to compromise our Christian faith, our Christian values, our our lifestyle. And that happens a lot because we live in an incredibly secular world where our values and beliefs are constantly challenged. And we've seen a degradation over the years of the public acceptability of uh, Christian norms. And so, of course, there's no more or there's very little Bible in school these days. And we're thankful for the uh, number of schools that are open to us. The whole of the moral standard of our, of our nation has gone really, really backwards. Uh, films that when I was in university in the 1970s, that were R18s and now PG. In the passage we have just read, the temptation for the three Hebrews was to bow down to a false idol and so disobey God. And if we're going to develop a fireproof faith, uh, one that is going to really last in the face of, of adversity, Uh, We need, right at the very beginning, we need to determine to put God first in our lives. It has to be a decision that we make and followed by action that we follow up. Uh, God's very first commandment to his people was to put him first. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh, In Matthew 6.33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And the basic foundation of which we base our Christian faith is not just the fact that God is real, but that he asks us to put him first in everything that we do. Now, that is easier the more you get to know him. When you start off, you might try to put him first through fear, because after all, he's the creator of the universe. The all-powerful one, the one who holds everything together. Our very existence depends on him. Our next breath is in his hands. We are like dust compared to him. And yet the three Hebrew men were prepared to give up their lives rather than even pretend to bow down to an idol. And that sacrifice has been repeated down through the ages Because God does not rule or hold power by fear, but he does it by demonstrating his love towards us. When I first realized that God was real, that he loved me and cared for me and listened to me and created me with a great plan for my life, I couldn't help but love him. And want to please him in return. When I realized that he gave up his son Jesus Christ to die for me so that I and all who believe in him would have everlasting life and be able to spend eternity with him. No wonder I jumped at the chance to know him better. To ask him to forgive me for all the dumb stuff I had done. To have my slate rubbed clean. No wonder I asked him to come into my life and help me to put him first. I made that decision at university 44 years ago. Best decision of my, my life. Second best decision was marrying Penny. 
and it was her birthday on Friday. So everyone turn around, point to Penny and say, happy birthday, Penny. (laughs) But our enemy will do every subtle thing he can to get us off track and destroy God's plans for our lives. And one of his tools, one of the things that he uses is temptation and compromise. So if we're going to build a fireproof faith, we need to not only put God, determine to put God first, but recognize the enemy's strategy of compromise. Compromise invariably happens when we make something more important than God in our lives. And actually, that is what the Bible calls an idol. An idol doesn't have to be a huge golden statue. It can be in the form of a person. It can be in the form of a boat. It can be in the form a boat. <laughs> it can be in the form of a house. <laughs> it could be it could be anything. In fact, the very first commandment God gave his people was you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, no idols. And if we break any of the other commandments, it just means that we've already broken the first commandment. Uh, Why do we fail to love or keep promises or live live unselfishly? Well, because there's something that you feel that you must have to be happy that's more important in your heart than God himself. We wouldn't lie unless first we made something whether it's human approval or reputation or power over others or financial advantage, unless we made these things more important and valuable to our hearts than the grace and favor of God. So if we want to change, we need to identify and dismantle the basic idols of our heart. And the ploy of Satan right from the very beginning has been to divert man's affection from God to other things. The enemy is so supple. He's so subtle. He knows how easy it is to get us to worship stuff because we were born to worship. And often he leads us on so that we make good things ultimate things that lead us away from God rather than to God. Let let me just give you some examples of that. For instance, the pursuit of knowledge. Uh, The pursuit of knowledge is a a really, really good thing. And it's a great part of God's plan and design for us. And young people, you need to study to become everything that God has planned and purposed for you to become. We need Christians in every level of society. You're never going to get to where you could get unless you diligently study not just the Word of God, but the things of God and uh, get a great education. So the pursuit of knowledge is really, really important. But some people will promote learning and the learned to be the ultimate thing. And the pursuit and love of knowledge becomes more important than the pursuit and love of God. And another example might be our families. 
We are to love and look after our families. That's the trait we want to see uh, in every Christian. In fact, the Bible says that if you don't look after your families, you are worse than an unbeliever. But when all of your time and all of your effort and all of your money is consumed on your kids... And they become more important to you than God, then a good thing has become an ultimate thing and an idol in your life. Now, I know there are times and seasons when you've got young kids, mums, your time, your talents, your resources go into growing them up. But they can never, ever be more important than God. Guys, work. God created us to work, not just so we could have our needs met, but so we could meet the needs of others. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief steal no more, rather let him work so that he may give to those in need. But sometimes we make a good thing an ultimate thing. And our work becomes an end in itself. And we get our self-worth and self-esteem from our work instead of from God. And it becomes all focusing, all consuming and We've made it an idol. And I saw this time and time and time again, unfortunately, when I worked in the dairy industry. Guys whose job was everything to them. And the really sad thing was a lot of them lost their families. They lost their time. They lost everything as, uh, and sewed it into the company. And when they retired, they had money in the bank but nothing to live for. And a whole heap of them died within a decade of retiring. A way to discern your heart's true love is to look at how you spend your time, how you spend your talents, how you spend your resources. And Jesus said, we are treasurers, there will your heart be also. And if God and his kingdom is the thing in the world that you love most, then that's what you're going to invest your treasured time, talents and resources on. So thirdly, if you want to build a fireproof faith... Uh, you need to determine to build strong convictions based on the Word of God. Uh, if you want to live a life without compromise, then we need to stay true to our godly convictions. Now, personal convictions come from family, community, and are often based on our personal tastes and preferences. But Daniel and his friends based their convictions on God's Word. And when you're examining your lifestyle and your activities... And if you think some of them are marginal, then I just want to give you a few questions that you can ask yourself to determine um, whether these are biblical, godly or not. First of all, you can say, what effect will it have on me? In other words, will it, will it contribute to my physical, spiritual life? What effect will it have on others? <clears throat> will what you're doing help or hinder the spiritual walk of others? What effect will it have on the cause of Christ? There are three tests that we can look at. The test of secrecy. Would you be embarrassed if others knew what you were involved with? Would you welcome Jesus to sit by your side and view all your activities? The test of universality. Would you encourage everyone to do what you are doing? What kind of community and world would we have if everyone were involved in your activities? 
And then there's the test of prayer. Can you pray and ask God's blessing on your activity? You see, we get light from within. We have a conscience. And if your conscience is alive, then the Holy Spirit will be prompting you and showing you which way to walk, how to live. There's light from without. We can get excellent counsel from godly people. And there's light from above. The best source of light is from God himself. James 1.5 says, If anyone lacked wisdom, let the person ask God. And as we've seen in the first three chapters of the book of Daniel, uh, last time we preached on it and, to, and today, uh, these people did not believe in being politically correct. They strayed they stayed true to their convictions. They went against the accepted culture of the day. In fact, they defied the king in the situation. And they resolved not to defile themselves. They refused to accept their Babylonian identity. And they determined to trust God, come what may. Love for God results in trust for God. The more you grow in your love for God, the more you're going to trust Him. But sometimes we need to keep trusting God despite our situations, knowing that we are living in a broken world, not heaven, and sometimes bad things happen to good people. I was absolutely shocked, as many of you know, last year uh, when I was told that I had prostate cancer. I prayed. I got others to pray. Anyone who had a healing ministry, I got to pray, fasted. And although I fully expected to get miraculously healed like so many that I have prayed for over the years, I never did. I was stunned. Uh, why me? Why, why didn't I get a miracle that God had so liberally given to others uh, through my prayers? Well, at the end of the day, I, I just had to trust God in the fire. Whether he healed me or not, it wasn't going to determine whether I believed in him or not. Because my faith is not based on what God does for me. My faith is based on who he is. Why didn't I get healed? I don't know. Although my non-Christian dentist, or non-church-going dentist, when I was complaining to him as he was drilling into me, <coughs> um, that I didn't get a miracle healing. He said, but oh, he said, but Don, you did. Look at you. You got a great surgeon, you recovered, you're cancer free, the side effects are diminishing, you're going uh, really, really, really good. He said, I've got an uncle who went through the same thing as you, and he's got no bladder control whatsoever. And his life is a real mess. And I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I need to be thankful for what, for what I got and not, not determine 
the way that the miracle was going to happen. But I'm even more determined now to see God's miraculous power released so that others won't have to go through what I went through. And really, people, the things that we celebrate, the miraculous healings that we've had over the last five years especially, those things that we celebrate as the exception, I want to see them become the norm. I want to see God pour out His Holy Spirit in such a way that healings and miracles are everyday events. Wouldn't you like to see that? I mean, Jesus said these signs are going to follow those that believe. And healings and miracles are a sign to unbelievers. And we want to see more and more and more of that happen. Daniel 3.17, if we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the three Hebrews said, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Let's have the musicians, please. Even if he does not. Have you got a even if he does not faith this morning? Is your love for God, is your faith for God so strong that even if he doesn't give you the miracle that you're looking for, you're not going to bow down to something else, but you're going to continue to serve him? On 10th of May, 1940, Hitler launched his Blitzkrieg against the countries of Europe, the lower countries especially in France. By the end of the second week in May, the French defences had been broken and German panzer forces were rapidly advancing towards victory. A British naval officer cabled back to London and quoted that passage in Daniel and said, But if not, Prime Minister Churchill feared that he would have to announce the greatest military disaster in English history. He expected to lose 350,000 men as he decided to try the impossible to evacuate the army from Dunkirk. And then came one of the defining moments of World War II and I know that we have had over the years a a number of our older folk here who were in the UK when the Second World War broke out and they will attest to these facts because what happened was His Majesty King George VI declared that Sunday the 26th of May should be observed as a national day of prayer. He called the people of Britain 
to commit their cause to God. And together with members of the cabinet, the king went to Westminster Abbey to pray, whilst millions in all parts of the Commonwealth flocked to churches all over the nation. The whole nation was at prayer on that Sunday. In fact, the newspapers said nothing like it had ever happened in British history before. You know, it says in the book of Solomon that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way, God will hear from heaven. He will forgive their sins and heal their lands. And when the whole nation prayed, it touched the heart of God and miracles begin to break out. The first miracle that happened is something that historians still to this day cannot explain. You've got a picture. The German panzer forces are bearing down on the British army and the allies. They've got them in a pincer move. They're just closing in, closing in, closing in. They're only a few miles away from them, about to completely annihilate them. But on that day of prayer, Hitler inexplicably overruled his generals, halted the advance of his armoured columns, and at the very point when they could have overrun the British army, he stopped. And nobody can understand why. Some have said that he thought that he would leave it to the Luftwaffe to tidy up the remnants. But the reality is he stopped. At that same time, a storm of unprecedented fury broke out over Flanders on the Tuesday, May the 28th. That's two days after the prayer meeting. It grounded the German Luftwaffe and enabled the British army to move up the coast in the darkness of the storm and the violence of the rain, which scarcely interrupted them and covered them from aircraft which were unable to operate in such turbulent conditions. Thirdly, despite the storm in Europe, a huge calm such as really been experienced settled over the English Channel and its waters. They became still as a mill pond. I mean, talk about parting the Red Sea. This was absolutely amazing. It was this quite extraordinary calm which enabled a vast armada of 850 little boats, bigger ships and warships, to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, in a desperate bid to rescue as many of their men as possible. 338,000 men were saved by 850 boats. The smallest boat that crossed the channel 
was 15 foot. It could only take five men. But it went across there and it continued to ferry men from the shore to the warships to save their lives. Even though some German squadrons did get through, it seemed that even another miracle happened when about 400 men were were systematically being machine gunned and bombed by about 60 enemy aircraft. A chaplain who flung himself down into the sand with the rest reported that after the strafing was over, he was amazed to find that there was not a single casualty amongst those 400 men. And he found that the sand all around where he had been lying was pitted with bullet holes and his figure was outlined in the sand. We serve a God of miracles. We can trust Him because He is the fourth man in the furnace. Jesus Christ is the one who comes to us. And despite the fires, despite the difficulties, despite everything else that's going on, He is the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you. Even if you have to walk through the fire, I am the God of miracles. And He's with us. He was with us. The three Hebrews back then, he was with the nation of England on that day in Dunkirk. He is with us today and he's with you no matter what situation or circumstance you're going to go through. So why don't you stand with me this morning? the ministry team just to come.